0: Hi, and welcome to Sounds and Something Else. I'm your host, Lee McAdams. I'm excited to share the first ever episode with you all. I've been reaching out to a lot of really cool and talented people trying to put this together, and I have some really fun interviews planned. I'll be talking and sharing stories with musicians, producers, and other music industry professionals about their lives and work. Some guests will be longtime friends from home or that I've met on the road. Some will be new connections for me as well. So, a lot of exciting things to come. The other day I had the pleasure of sitting down and chatting with multi-instrumentalist Justin Handley of the psychedelic electronic duo Silvermouse. In Silvermouse, Justin has joined forces with his life partner and electronica producer Joanne Hunt. The duo combines roots from the UK rave scene with American jam rock to create their own brand of live-tronica music. Their music is deeply embedded with a psychoactive soundscape, Justin will tell you all about that in this interview. He's a very knowledgeable person, and I can tell that he has uh, spent a lot of time doing what he does, and I definitely learned a thing or two about sound during our chat. Hope you will too. Silvermouse will soon be venturing away from their home in Puerto Rico for their first American shows ever over here in the northeastern states. You can see them live February 23rd at Earth Dance in Plainfield, Massachusetts and then February 24th at the Brooklyn Lair in Brooklyn, New York. Anyway, I don't want to waste any time, so let's get into today's interview. This is Justin Handley of Silver Mouse. All right, Justin. Um, so where are you calling me from today?
1: Uh, Aguada, Puerto Rico.
0: Oh, cool. Is that uh your home? It is. Very cool. So uh going to go right to the beginning here. Um what inspired you to start playing music?
1: Huh. Uh, I mean, I actually was a like Suzuki violin kid. I started playing violin when I was two or three. Oh, cool. Um, and I honestly never really connected that much. It was my parents kind of kept me in music. You know, I I tried different things in fourth grade. I remember in elementary school was when you were actually allowed to like pick instruments and join band. And right. uh, I tried to play flute, but they told me I didn't have the right lips. I'm pretty sure though, that really it was just that girl's played flute then. And yeah. And, and it, it was because right. I play flute now and I'm like, my lips work. I don't know, yeah. I don't know what they're talking about.
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: But, you know, so then I tried to play drum set for a minute. Uh, I played trumpet and you know, none of it really stuck. And then when I was about 13, I got uh, an electric guitar for Christmas. And that's really kind of what started me, my own drive into music. And I got really into playing guitar and played a lot of guitar through my teenage years. And, uh, And at some point, actually, I guess it was in my early 20s, yeah you know I started to appreciate the fact that my parents had forced me to learn violin and I came back to the violin and really oh nice um because I think that i'd I'd kind of put it down in school as like uh it's this thing that I'm I have to do because I have to, <laughs> you know but I never really you know and so I started playing violin again and uh cool and yeah I
0: are um, uh are your parents musicians too?
1: they are not no my mom was a teacher my dad was in public radio
0: oh that's cool. We have a similar track there. I, I started playing trumpet in uh, elementary school and switched to guitar at about like 12, 13.
1: Yeah, I tried um, to pick up trumpet again a couple of years ago. And like I, my cheek muscles, yeah. I, I just didn't have the patience to build the muscles. It's intense.
0: Yeah, it is intense. <laughs> Takes a lot out of you. <laughs> so uh, when did you meet your, uh, your partner that you're with now with Silvermouse?
1: so uh we are like partners really in every way (laughs) um (laughs) we met in 2007 and i was at that point working at a a theater in western massachusetts and she came there on a summer program that we ran and uh i was teaching music to the students there and and so we met there and then um Pretty quickly after that, that winter, she's from England, so I went to England to see her and then she came back and um, we moved out to LA for a second and then uh, really hated that and about three <laughs> months later moved back to, we went to New Mexico and we spent about 10 years okay. there and then moved down to Puerto Rico after that and, um, you know, so, and we started playing music. Uh I guess probably when we went to New Mexico she wasn't a you know her whole life she'd kind of been told that she wasn't a musician um and discouraged from looking into music and uh but she was a rave kid in England and uh, in New Mexico you know we were just talking and I showed her some like music production software and uh that just opened up for her the realization that she could take the sounds in her head and kind of Turn them into, yeah, you know, sounds she could hear, um, right? And so that's that's how it all kind of started.
0: Cool. So she's uh doing more of like the production end, and you're the multi instrumentalist on on top, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we are mostly a live act, to be honest. Like, our studio skills are just now getting better. Um. But for a long time, we could not pull off studio recording at all. Um,
0: yeah, it's a different beast.
1: Yeah, our first three albums are all actually just live recordings that we maybe post-mastered a little bit, you know, tweaked, cut out any really terrible mistakes and tried to stitch it together and, <laughs> and then released it as an album. But, uh, you know, our music, it's all live, improvised. So oh, wow. she plays in Reason um, which is a you can build like a virtual rack of um instruments. So it's like okay. you know, back in the 90s, what would have been a truckload of gear and drum machines and synthesizers and stuff? You can kind of organize that and patch together wires and uh do it all on a computer. So that's what she works in. And yeah.
0: Cool. So um what are you where are your influences coming from, like collectively and individually?
1: So collectively shared music tastes are uh well there aren't that many actually we both really <laughs> like queen
0: oh yeah <laughs> um, i mean it's hard not to <laughs> it's hard not
1: to like right <laughs> i think that you know some of the uh and like the beatles older psychedelic rock we have that in yeah. common but i never i was never into electronic music at all um okay and then at some point in my 20s, a guy was like, oh, you should listen to Fat Boy Slim. You'd really like this, I think. And and I did. I listened yeah. to it and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, but then Joe is coming from a whole different world. I mean, in England, the electronic music scene is older and deeper than it is here. And genres are uh, so specific. I mean, you know, yeah. in my world, it was just all techno. It's like that's right. just, you know it's the stuff with beats and like you know but no there's like a million genres of like kind of electronic music based on
0: yeah absolutely you know
1: tempo and sounds used and and so uh you know that's really where she came from was kind of the london rave scene in the 90s and yeah. um a lot of electronic music i was a fish kid uh oh nice I, <laughs> yeah I, I followed fish around from like maybe 93 until i don't know somewhere in around 2000 i spent a lot of time driving around the country trying to watch them play
0: well those were good years to see fish <laughs>
1: yeah they actually played at my high school um, really in new hampshire yeah they played at a when they were first starting out they did like the kind of high school college circuit of new hampshire and um oh, nice and so i got to watch them you know i saw them play at the orpheum in boston which was about 500 people it was my first <laughs> big show and then it went fast for them. You know, it's, I, then yeah. I saw them in Stowe, Vermont, there was about 2000 people there and it, uh, it escalated.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, in your bio, you, you listed that you, you have a, uh, a family of mystical animals and a, a couple of feral children. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, We
1: live on a, we live on a little two acre farm and yeah. it goes up and down. We've had more animals like it's, yeah we used to have goats um that for milk and we've had a lot of trouble with goats i'm not going to get into the details there but <laughs> you know uh in the tropics uh animals that graze are are notoriously hard to keep you know with yeah, with the amount of bacteria and fungus and like the dampness here um but we have a horse and a pig and a bunch of rabbits yeah. and chickens and uh and then some you know, too many dogs and cats really, but we're kind of surrounded by animals here. Oh, that's cool. Um, it is, it's fun. And we've got two kids, you know, we had, they're they're 10 and 13 now, so. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually a good age. I think that we, we got to start playing before they were born. And then when they were babies, we would drag them around and put ear protectors on them and, you know, <laughs> just strap them to us and play. Yeah. um and then it got a little harder uh for a few years to manage that you know and yeah. we're not at the level where we have a big enough crew to like drag along you know pay a babysitter to come on tour with us every time right <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know now it's easy they're old enough that now they can entertain themselves they can just they'll come and hang out and it's uh That's cool. it's getting back to more fun so we've kind of started in the last two years really uh trying to you know, get back into touring and book doing more live shows. We we had a couple of years where it, it waned a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that happens.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um so uh you, you mentioned earlier all all your um your past releases were uh recorded live. Um where uh what type of venues are you recording these in?
1: So our first album was actually recorded in our living room on a dat machine. Uh, oh, nice on like a mini dad uh, <laughs> and and at that point i think we'd started playing live but only a couple times and yeah. we were playing uh at at mostly at art galleries in santa fe um at gallery openings and stuff we'd go and play and our music it's it's diverse enough that it fits a couple different genres. Like, you know, I think of us sort of as a dance band, but, you know, we did fit into kind of ambient background of art galleries. You know, we're in the next couple months playing a yoga retreat and also doing an experiment with a yoga class where we're going to come in and like play for class. And so I think that, you know, we're not like heavy enough that the music is disturbing in environments like that right, yeah. and and because it's all improvised anyway, I mean we we can sort of temper the the mood to the setting, um, <laughs> but but yeah, we we're we were playing art galleries in Santa Fe. The second one, um was after a tour, I'm trying to think, yeah, the second album was recorded at a a place called the Cosmic Trading Post in Albuquerque um, which is actually just sort of a little. Uh, store I'm not sure it even still exists and yeah. they we were playing their parking lot. they just had a stage set up in the parking lot and um cool we did a show there. The third one we actually did at a house party here in Puerto Rico um where we had a we'd built a stage for a while um and just had a little outdoor stage and so that was that was the third album. There's one in between that was recorded at a surf festival here. Um, oh yeah but we didn't actually take the time it never really went that far because most of the albums we actually cut up into tracks and that one we just released as a full-on like 80 minute single set and so you know you can't really get spotify plays on stuff like that
0: right (laughs) (laughs) so uh you're you're currently working on you have a it's the psychoactive project Um, yeah Do you want to talk about the inspiration and intention of that?
1: Sure. Yeah, so we have three releases out now. Um, There's one called Imagining, and Imagining was the first one. So there's actually two versions out. There's Imagining and one called Imagining Revisited, um, where we actually just took the track, and that was our first experiment with using uh, brainwave entrainment in the music and so the psychoactive project for is an attempt really to use brainwave entrainment which um most people who are familiar are going to know about binaural beats like that's the most trendy sort of form of brainwave entrainment but ultimately the um the effect is what's called frequency following response where your brain will pick up and tune in to dominant beats in environments. And that can be a sound, it can be physical. So when they do brainwave entrainment, like medically, they often do it with electropulses. Um, okay. I think that's probably the most effective method, but it's not exactly practical. Um, you can also do it with light, with flashing lights, which is why strobe lights have to have the, you know, this could cause seizures is because your brain is actually sinking to the strobe light and depending on the frequencies there, um, you know, in different yeah. people, it can cause different effects. And so, uh, you know, I had, I'd had a long-term interest in this and then we actually started it. I got a job as an audio engineer. Um, that's actually not true. I got a job as a programmer at a place called the Monroe Institute and they hired me to help write a mobile app, um, which is a meditation app called Expand. And, um, and then, you know, so we were looking at that and thinking about what they were doing and we're like, I wonder if this works in live music. And, right. you know, the answer is that traditionally a lot of it doesn't like binaural beats require a uh, headphone isolation and you have to have the ability to control what goes into each ear. Okay. And so when you put it over stereo speakers in a big room, you might have pockets where the, the sound waves are hitting each other in the right way to create the beating effect. But right. You don't have a consistent coverage, and so we started looking into ways to do, uh, to do that over live speakers and um, and looked into it. As far as I know, right now we're the the only band out there that's actually doing this. Um, Wow! We did in March. We're gonna do a show here again in Puerto Rico, which is gonna be like a one year of experimenting. We did our first show in. On like march 18th of last year um and the first couple we did we called signal tests and we actually had people sign waivers and like oh yeah know, yeah and do surveys afterward and just to make sure that we weren't gonna you know like trigger seizures or mess anyone's brains Yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know so we did pretty small shows where people volunteered and came in and uh and but after about five of those we did a few here and then we did we did a thing in London called the museum of consciousness where it was like five artists who all had music that, you know, theoretically interacted with consciousness. And so they would kind of talk about their thoughts on it and present. And we did that. And, um, and at this point, we have a high degree of confidence in kind of how it works and what it feels like. And yeah. um,
0: So so Do you have to, um, when you travel with this show, do you have to bring your own speakers and everything? Do your own sound? Okay. So
1: the way that we're doing it is completely playable over any sound system. Um, We're just using mono signals. We use a couple of different, you know, we're still experimenting. And ultimately I think it's going to take years to have a full understanding because at any given show, we normally play one signal set, you know, with one technology we haven't really gotten to the point because there's only two of us and already we're both relatively focused neither of us really has the time and performance to be tweaking knobs and also taking the signals and mutating them live you know so we're working on getting a little better at that and um and i've actually talked to an electrical engineer about building an instrument because also right now we're generating them digitally uh which is harder to work with i'm talking to a guy about building an instrument that has like big knobs that we could just kind of like (laughs) oh nice (laughs) Yeah, play with yeah um, so but but you know the effect it's pretty interesting i think that with traditional brainwave entrainment depending on the signals that are used because you're you're looking at your brain moves between about like zero and 160 hertz and so you have a range i'm not confident that in the higher ranges of that i don't really know how high the entrainment works um at some point like 160 hertz is something like 9600 beats per minute um and so you have to do it at a really high pitch because if you do it low pitch the actual tone uh has a longer wavelength than that and can't and so it becomes muddy right so you don't get okay. a clear beating effect and even at the high pitches at those high speeds it's very hard to perceive the fact that it's beating. And I don't know, and nobody, as far as I'm aware, you know, we've been doing a lot of research on this and trying to figure out the dynamics. It's still a pretty unknown field, but, you know, I think that there's probably some point where that dies off. So normally we work between about zero and maybe 60 uh, hertz, which spans all of the... Kind of major brain states like at zero, you're looking at sleep really up yeah. to about four hertz, and then you get into deep meditation up to about you know eight hertz, and then kind of into like relaxed creative flow up to about like 13 hertz. We normally skip 13 to like 30, uh, which is the range of standard waking awareness because most people it shows are there and awake and have enough brain activity going on kind of in right that <laughs> you know, and then above 30 you get into gamma uh stimulation which is associated with all sorts of things like you know create really flow states and an ecstatic experience but also anxiety um you know so we haven't yet had anyone report to us that you know, our music made them feel nervous (laughs) or stressed out. But I think that also, you know, if you look at that anxiety and focus are really the same thing. And so probably what makes the difference between whether you're focusing and it's a good way or whether you're focusing and anxious about it is, is the setting. And if you're at a show, you know, dancing to music, you're unlikely to be on the negative side of that spectrum. Right.
0: Are you feeling the effects yourself while you're playing?
1: We are. And sometimes yeah. it's not great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because one of the things I think, especially when you get into the lower frequencies and I like to play the lower frequencies because for the audience, I think they're the most profound. I think the right. gamma stuff, when you think about it, what, like what we really are, most of what we're working with right now is playing a low frequency and a gamma frequency and then trying to bridge that with a few in between with the concept being that you're kind of stimulating access to like the subconscious or the superconscious, however you want to look at that what's beyond your normal state of awareness and that's that's what people that listen to binaural beats for meditation really use it for they're trying to go deep and you know with the monroe institute um who was a big, you know, they're they've been researching this for 50 years, and one of their flagship kind of things they call focus 10, which is the state of uh mind awake, body asleep, right? So it's like you're playing the signals just on the edge of sleep and awake, yeah, to let people almost be asleep but actually remain conscious, and so it's kind of like lucid dreaming. You get into seeing oh, wow. things and hearing things, but you can remember after. Oh um, cool. and you know, so I think that that's sort of, for an audience, the most noticeable. And these are pretty subtle things. Like, this isn't like taking psychedelics. You know, it's not like yeah. just blown away. It's a kind of a subtle energy shift. But they also, you know, sometimes playing music, it really spaces you out. Yeah. And so it's like, man, what song are we playing? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we really doing here? Yeah. But, you know, I, we had a... One of the most profound ones was we played a show in in England in this little town called Totnes, and it was crazy. We got there late. Our car, um, I was going to say broke down. That's not true. We locked our keys in our car when we were already (laughs) about a five-hour drive from home um, and about an hour away from the venue. And so then uh, we were staying with Joe's parents and her dad actually drove down with a spare set of keys. So it took wow. him five hours to get to us. <laughs> and then we got to the venue at like nine. We were supposed to play at eight. We set up and immediately had an infinite number of technical issues. Like there was, yep. I don't even know what was happening, but there was this clicking pop sound. And it was just like every you know 30 <laughs> seconds, the speakers were going, pop and i don't even know if the audience noticed he was driving us crazy <laughs> um we played for like about what 45 minutes and we were like let's we have to let's just stop like yeah. this is weird and <laughs> we'd actually been playing for over 3 hours it was like 1 in the morning Oh, and wow. we literally had no idea. But to us, it was like we showed wow. up, we played for 45 <laughs> minutes. It was all a technical nightmare. And people were like, that was amazing. Like, <laughs> I don't know what just happened. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, man. You know, so I think that sometimes, you know, the effects can be, again, it's subtle. But
0: right. that
1: is one of the things we did. We actually did some research on our last song and um, the last release we did. And one of the most profound effects that came out of it: about 55% of people who just listened to it—it's a seven-minute song—reported a sense of distortion of time. Like they either felt oh, like wow. it was significantly shorter than seven minutes or significantly longer. Most people shorter, um, which is, I, I think, is the right direction. Because if you feel like it's just infinitely long, maybe that's not right. So I think that. <laughs> For for a musician with these signals, one of the nicest things about it is, I think it puts people in a. It's just it, it lets the music be a little more immersive. Yeah, yeah. it lets yeah. them dive in a little and forget about what else is going on, and so it just becomes a slightly more immersive experience for people. And yeah, um, especially with our music, which is pretty experimental.
0: Yeah, and it takes a minute
1: to get into. Um, I don't know, you know, if you are kind of familiar with the whole jam band scene, but I feel like
0: with with
1: jazz, with jam bands, one of the things, and which is why you get kind of super fans and people who just don't get it is that most of them have a language they develop, right? They are playing in their own language of music and you sort of have to learn that language a little. And once you understand it, you know, they can make jokes in music and they can like get really serious or they can create emotion in music. Yeah, just because they're playing that, you know, that language. Whereas if you've never heard it before and your brain's not quite there, it can just sound ridiculous.
0: Yeah, Um, absolutely.
1: And so I think that, you know, that's one of the things is it kind of helps us get past that barrier where we don't play a lot of mainstream venues. I mean, mostly our shows anyway are people who are coming to see us. Uh, We don't do well in bars where people are just there, like because they're like, what is going on? (laughs) <laughs> uh, and especially when we were in new mexico invariably somebody would come up and be like can you just turn off that electronic stuff and just play some <laughs> guitar and we're like no we cannot that's that's, that's...
0: <laughs> not what we're doing here
1: that's not what's happening right now. and um you know so so I think that in that sense, it, it really complements our music because it lets people let go for a second and gives them just a little bit more of a chance to be like, "Oh yeah, I do. I get this. Like, yeah. I know what's happening here?"
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you have planned for this? Uh, it's the winter weekend mini tour you have coming up.
1: So we're headed out next week. We're going to um, go up and see family. My mom and my sister are in Massachusetts, and oh yeah. Uh, And so we figured as long as we were there, we'd multitask and we're playing a show in Western Mass, um, pretty close to the theater where Joe and I met at a place called Earth Dance. Um, And we're playing in Brooklyn at a place called the Brooklyn Lair. They're both pretty intimate venues. It's like 40 to 50 people. They're uh, dance floors. They're sprung wooden dance floors. Okay. Um, And
0: they're open to the public.
1: Oh, yeah. They're open to the public. Cool. you know, we have tickets that are on sale on our website at silvermouselive.com. And the, uh, yeah, it's the first time we're going to be playing with this in the US. Um, I mean, we've played a lot in the US as Silvermouse. Yeah. It's the first time we're playing with these signals up there. And oh, cool. Um,
0: well, maybe I'll come out to Western Mass. I'm only in Providence. So it's okay. re- real close. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and Earth Dance is a cool place. It also has like saunas and, uh, you know, wow. a communal kitchen. I think that often, and they've got quite a crew of little dance people out in the hills who come. And so they'll often like do potlucks before shows. And it's just kind of cool. a nice, it's a nice little place. And, um, you know, I think we're looking at, well, we've got to see how it goes. We moved to Puerto Rico with the concept that from New Mexico we're touring in the summer a lot. We were playing in England almost every summer. And so then we were at home in the coldest time of the year. And we're like, what if, what if we move somewhere where <laughs> the time that we're not touring is like nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and that's actually what brought us down here. And I think that one of the things we didn't realize is that it does add a degree of complexity, you know. Touring is more right. expensive because yeah. we've got to fly there and we don't own a car in the states anymore, so then you've got to figure out how you're going to get around and yeah. you know, and so but we are trying. I think that uh these are also our first east coast shows ever. We've never oh, played really? east of New Mexico. Um, oh, wow. so we played New Mexico, California, you know, like Seattle, like the West Coast, we've been around quite a bit, but um, cool. you know, so I think that I'm pretty excited to get over and just see see if we can't start a thing there because that is for us now that's the easiest market you know really from puerto rico the two places that are cheap to go are new york and miami right um you know it's just a couple hours and so it's actually closer than living in new mexico you know in albuquerque and santa fe it's seven hours to austin eight hours to like phoenix seven hours to denver like nothing is close right
0: yeah we we're uh, pretty good here in um new england everything's a few hours away a couple hours right. away <laughs> so uh we're almost out of time here but um just wanted to mention you had a single out february 2nd that's a uh, trypnosis
1: trypnosis
0: cool and yeah, that's that uh, would... part of the psychoactive
1: experiment it is it's the third one. So there's Imagining Revisited, Beyond the Dream Drum, and Trypnosis are the first three songs. And um, we're looking to release all of them as singles and then actually go back and re-release the whole thing as an album um with different versions. So the album won't be the same releases, but same songs. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, and Trypnosis is it's actually getting pretty good reception so far. It's a little bit um I'm not sure. It's just hit a hit a vibe with people uh, that it's it's a little floatier, I guess. It's got really ambient kind of mandolin and just is a really kind of open, floaty, spacious song. And uh, that's what that's our biggest mission in life right now. Actually, is you know to get people to listen. Our theory is that if people will like take the time and throw on headphones, because even though it doesn't require headphones, something about isolating the sound, you know, and closing your eyes. And just really listening for six minutes, uh, you know, I think that when people do that, they they tend to like it, you know, and, yeah. and you can really feel something. You can really feel the effect of the signals in that time. And so that's kind of our mission right now is just to get everyone on Earth to throw on some headphones and listen for six minutes and <laughs> <laughs> and check it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's uh, it's been great talking to you, Justin and i i hope joe's feeling better soon
1: yeah for sure our daughter came home with something and passed it around
0: yeah <laughs> and,
1: uh, <laughs> the yeah and if you want to come out to to western mass let me know i'd love to see you there yeah
0: absolutely all right justin take care you too Alright, that was Justin Handley of Silvermouse. I want to thank Justin again for coming on. It was a pleasure to have him on as my first guest. Before I wrap up, I'd like to give a few shout outs. First to Joanne Hunt, the other half of Silvermouse. We didn't get to chat this time, but maybe we'll do another Silvermouse episode down the line. And then there's my good friend, Kyle Carlson, also my bandmate in Melancholy and White Rabbit. Kyle was my co host on my last podcast, the Rabbit Hole PVD podcast. That was a short-lived project, but me and Kyle still have a lot of cool projects going on now, and hopefully he'll join me here soon as a guest. And of course, my talented and beautiful girlfriend Liz, for the constant support and encouragement. You should uh, check her out at Betty Hoop on Instagram and YouTube. She's a super talented flow artist. Anyway, this is a new project for me. I'll be working hard to make this show better, maybe adding new segments in the future, and just continuing to bring on guests that I'm excited about from all over the musical spectrum, please reach out to me with any comments, suggestions, or questions. You can reach me at squatchsoundsmusic at gmail.com. I read all comments and messages. I'm always open to new ideas or criticisms, and you can maybe help me make the show better. Stay tuned for more episodes This podcast is brought to you by Squatch Sounds. See you next time.